Hello and thank you for joining for another episode of Turkey Book Talk. I'm William Armstrong here in Istanbul. In this podcast we hear from authors of newly released books on Turkey and the region. Give our Facebook page a like and or follow the Twitter account at Turkey Book Talk. There are show notes and links at armstrongwilliam.wordpress.com and please do rate or review the podcast wherever you listen to it which really does help more people find it. Remember, if you haven't already, do consider signing up to become a Turkey Book Talk member for exclusive extras and to help us keep going. Joining our growing list of signed up members gets you transcripts in both English and Turkish of every interview published on Turkey Book Talk via email as soon as the episode is published. You also get transcripts of the entire Turkey Book Talk archive, which so far amounts to over 90 conversations and which includes a number of extra interviews not previously published on the podcast. Members also get access to an exclusive discount deal, a whopping 30 25% off the cover price of books published in IB Taurus's extensive Turkey and Ottoman history category. IB Taurus, which is now part of Bloomsbury, has well over 400 books in its Turkey and Ottoman history series, including both academic and general interest titles. Turkey Book Talk members receive a special code for a 35% discount on books in that series, including physical books, pre-orders and e-books. Last but not least, members also receive an archive of 231 book reviews written by myself, Covering various categories including Turkish and international fiction and poetry, history, politics, journalism, the Middle East and Europe. That archive was written over the course of five years and was previously available online, but nowadays a Turkey Book Talk membership is the only way to access it. To become a member, all you have to do is pledge a minimum of $3 per episode via Turkey Book Talk's official Patreon account. New episodes go out every two weeks, so the monthly membership price is no more than $6. Of course, if you're feeling particularly generous and want to pledge more, then you'll certainly be more than welcome and indeed if you want to pledge without becoming a member that's also fine but so long as you pledge three dollars or above per episode membership is entirely at your own discretion members only get charged when a new episode is published so there are no prior commitments or strings attached you'll be free to sign off whenever you want but now on with this latest episode and we're continuing somewhat with the theme of our last episode where we spoke to Selim Deringil about the twilight of the Ottoman Empire in the Arab lands during the First World War. In this episode we speak to Elif Mahir Metinsoy of Galatasaray University in Istanbul. She's the author of Ottoman Women During World War One: Everyday Experiences, Politics and Conflict which was published by Cambridge University Press. The book gives us a social history of the lives of ordinary Muslim women in the Ottoman Empire during the Great war. It extends its attention from the traditional focus on the experiences of the educated middle or upper class urban population to focus on the lives of more ordinary masses across Anatolia during these years of upheaval. To do this, it looks at less traditional sources like poems, folk songs and petitions to state officials to consider many women's resistance to war mobilization, their entry into the workforce and their everyday struggles. Of course, the war had a catastrophic effect on the Ottoman social fabric, creating an extreme situation full of shortages, deprivations, hunger, displacement and death. And I started by asking Elif Mahir Metinsoy about whether her research gave her a renewed appreciation of these cataclysms. Before I made the research, I was to some extent aware of the problems because in my first study about women and fashion, I knew that due to poverty, many women uh, prostituted uh, in Istanbul and they stole or they had fights on bread queues. But I thought that these difficulties were what made these women stronger and made them, you know, fight for their liberties. But later on, I realized that the situation was worse than 
what I expected. They had so much tragedy that sometimes I even cried when I read the archive sources and sometimes it was difficult to be objective for this reason. When you first reach to these kind of sources, you, you find it very grave and it's not an easy time for women. I, I was grateful to live in this era when I when I read everything about these women. Millions of women were really struggling, trying to survive. Just talk about the uh, sources that you use, because obviously they had to be very different to the more sort of traditional history that uh, is based on official sources, you know, written by men, often found in archives. Uh, you had to be a bit more creative. I mean, what sources did you use to explore this issue of women's experiences during World War One? You used uh, petitions, I think, from women to local state authorities, uh, popular folk songs and poems as, as rich sort of alternative sources. I mean, what else? Yeah. I, first of all, did not work with the petitions and folk songs, but I, first of all, went to secondary sources written on women of different countries. For instance, women living in Europe or United States, because, first of all, I wanted to learn what other women had experienced during the war. So I really looked at the secondary sources because I wanted to have a perspective. When I had this perspective, going to the archives was easier. So I looked at the petitions, as you explained. I looked at telegrams, and these petitions were not only in the Ottoman archives, but also I found petitions in, you know, parliamentary records. And also I looked at certain police uh, records, and sometimes I looked at the official letters between bureaucrats, because there you can find also how women were struggling, especially negotiating with bureaucrats of the time for improving their situation many times crying, uh, many times making the jobs of bureaucrats very difficult, which was also a strategy they used in order to survive in those hard times, and it was effective indeed. Petitions are not direct sources, but they are very, very important, uh, in my opinion, to understand problems of women, because there you can find at least names of these women and how they perceived the war, what was their problem, what they demanded, where they lived, how many children they had. Sometimes women even found a solution and imposed that solution on the authorities. This means that women were making politics to some extent, influencing decision makers, and sometimes this worked. I also looked at memoirs of women and men. It is even possible to find information about women in memoirs of soldiers because they go to Anatolia and uh, other parts of the Ottoman Empire and see, observe uh, how women were struggling. Folk songs also are very interesting because I think folk songs are more direct than petitions. In folk songs, you can reach to the voices of women more directly, although they are anonymous sources. Because of this thing, that you don't know their names, it was easier to explain themselves, and they can protest as a result their situation. They can protest the sultan, they can protest the politicians. In folk songs, it is more direct. 
A few months ago, we published an episode with uh, Yir Taken on his book uh, on the Ottoman home front during the First World War. Uh, and in that book, he emphasizes this huge, often underappreciated difference between the official rhetoric of the war from the state authorities and the ordinary lived experiences of uh, ordinary people. Uh, and you also talk about this distinction uh, in your book. Uh, you say, quote, that although many Turkish intellectuals and members of the Committee of Union and Progress supported the nationalist war propaganda, and the declaration of holy war, uh, larger masses of poor people who mostly lived in the countryside and bore most of the economic and social burden of the war had a different perspective. Just talk a bit about this distinction between the state elites and the ordinary people and how there was an official narrative of war and uh, often inf inflected with nationalist and religious rhetoric. But on the popular level, there was often a bit of resistance to this and it didn't really strike much of a chord. It was more of a, an elite rhetoric. Yes, I think that for different classes, war was experienced differently. Many illiterate women knew their problems quite well. They were aware of what was happening, how mobilization changed their lives, or how they uh, struggled to survive. And in official historiography, that aspect of women's uh, experiences, especially the negative ones uh, due to the mobilization, is not does not find a place in official historiography, which me and maybe Ita can also uh, want to respond because I believe that those elites were especially wanting to support the mobilization so in their periodicals especially the nationalist ones there were many poems there were many articles supporting the war and there were also elite women who supported the war for instance the uh, journal Türk Kadını has many poems that are in, written by women with a very nationalist accent, such types of literary works can be found in women's periodicals of that time. There were also Turkish hearts, Türk Ocakları uh, at that time, and women there, elite women there, uh, could find themselves a place. They became more active socially and politically. They found themselves a place in a very conservative society. These nationalist organizations were very important for their uh, emancipation, but this is not the experience of millions of illiterate women. So there is a very different kind of experience that needs to be emphasized. Uh, now, in uh, in other European countries, often war led to an acceleration of women's entrance into the workforce, and that also happened in the Ottoman Empire, though slightly differently and on a, on a rather smaller scale. How did the First World War affect the issue of women's entrance into the workforce, and what kind of jobs are we talking about? Ottoman women too were more active in work life due to World War One because they needed to survive. But their position is very different than what you can see in Europe or in United States because Ottoman Empire was not as industrialized as these countries. There were not as many jobs as in, for instance, Germany. In Germany, they need more women in munitions factories, but they cannot find easily in the Ottoman Empire women are trying to find a job but they cannot find these jobs because uh, there's less job opportunities. So women are more active in the uh, countryside. They do things that their men did before. Even washing the dead corpses, funerals are made by women and uh, many other difficult uh, things that only men did before were done by women at that time. But we cannot say that there is a advanced industry that hundreds 
hundreds of thousands of women could uh, find jobs. But men, especially the entrepreneurs of the time, wanted women to uh, as cheap labor. And there was tons of women, especially widows, who could become cheap labor at that time. There was Ottoman Women's Employment Society, which accepted from 1916 to 1923 about uh, 60,000 women as employees. Women who uh, were employed by this organization received wages uh, lower than what was ordinary. So uh, women started, for instance, working in the army. There was a first battalion of women that worked in agriculture or road construction, and uh, there were also other kinds of jobs. One of them is becoming a secretary in business enterprises. Uh, women uh, opened their own shops. Uh, they became barbers. They also worked in their own uh, markets. Women's bazaars were opened. And there, women from Anatolia came and sold their products, their goods in Istanbul, for instance. And there were also uh, street sweepers, street cleaners, working in the Istanbul municipality, who were trousers. When I first learned this, I was very excited because it was the first time that Ottoman women wore trousers at that time. There were also women working in the finance ministry and telephone company and there were women who also started having their education at the university level at that time, but this started in a very segregated manner. Men and women were not in the same university at first. There was a different university Girls' University, Nisa Darülfünun'u, where women started their education in 1914, the first year of the war. Women started having uh, also education in commerce in different organizations. For instance, there was the Türk Kadını Dersanisi, Turkish Women's' course, where women learned mathematics, Turkish arts and music, and at the same time, arithmetics and French, for instance, different languages. These were all uh, developments of the wartime. So some elite women really had a, a very good time during the war because they acquired new educational opportunities and job opportunities. But this was again segregated and in a very conservative society. So uh, there were limitations and restrictions that even these women uh, suffered. For many other women, especially ordinary women, it was very difficult. What about the reaction from men and also women amid this entrance into working life? Because there was quite a strong reaction in various quarters. And indeed, you mentioned in the book, actually, that uh, one perhaps surprising area is women themselves, you know, reacting against this entrance of women into the public sphere. People saying that it was unseemly, people saying that, you know, uh, it wasn't right and it was immoral. And just talk about this, you know, what kind of reactions women's entrance into working life got during the First World War in the Ottoman Empire? It was difficult for uh, many women to start working because uh, there was this reaction that you, you talk about. Many women wanted to sell anything they found before entering in, into a job, before getting employed. They sold their household goods, furnitures, jewelry, anything before they find a job uh, because there was so so much prejudice against women working. For instance, Sabia Sartal, who, who is a very important author was very anxious about getting a job at that time because she believed that it was told to her that if she had found a job 
if she worked outside, then she would not find a husband. It would be very difficult for her to find a husband because men would not uh, get married with uh, working women. Another example is Shevkie, who had lost her husband to war. She was a rich woman before, uh, mother of Irfan Orga, but later uh, in the war, her house burned and she had lost everything she had. So before she started working in the sewing house of the army, army depot, uh, she had to sell anything that she had. And later, uh, when she had nothing left to sell, uh, she started working. So there was a reaction against women working outside, even among uh, women. For instance, Shevkiye's mother-in-law wanted her to stay at home. And when she first uh, got rid of her veil, uh, when she first did not want to wear her veil, she reacted very severely. And uh, when she first walked on uh, on the street without her veil, children stoned her at Bezitz, which is a very common reaction against women who do, do not wear veils at that time. So it was not easy for women to start working at a very conservative society. And even those women working at the finance ministry were working in separate rooms that men could not enter. Only certain men could enter at certain times. And their skirts were, for instance, measured by the police. Uh, they, they, they had to wear a certain length of skirt. Uh, otherwise, they could be sent to home. And there were rumors about women working in the post offices that these women were talking with stranger men. They were, you know, open to anything. They could have relations with these men, etc. So rumors were also very common. And when a teacher was had been harassed by a man, who wrote her letters. First of all, she was found guilty in the eyes of the school, but only in time she was found innocent in the eyes of other people, although she was being harassed uh, and she had nothing to do with this harassment. So it was not easy for women to uh, start working and many women do not think that working was an option. It was the last option and was found very dangerous, especially for unmarried young women. Now, uh, just to conclude, uh, according to one version of uh, official historiography, I suppose, uh, women really started to become active and be granted their rights in the early years of the Turkish Republic. Uh, but how important were developments in the late Ottoman Empire, and specifically in the war years during the empire's collapse, really, uh, in the push for women's rights and women's emergence into the public sphere? I think it was very important because it was the beginning of their uh, struggle. Many women learned uh, how to communicate, how to write, read uh, at that period. And they became, for instance, authors in different journals and magazines, not only women's periodicals, but in uh, newspapers as well, uh, read by men. So it was a period that women, uh, especially elite women, intellectual women, could become more uh, emancipated. They could find a place in society more easily. But I think that it is a very different kind of atmosphere during the uh, Republican era. You know, one cannot ignore uh, the reforms of Kemal Atatürk as well, because these reforms were, especially the civil code, is very important for women's emancipation, which could not be achieved during the war years. There was a family law which gave women to 
some extent the right to divorce, but it was very limited and it was not accepted by whole society. It was abolished uh, within two years and only a few women, a very elite women, could enjoy the right of divorce. In Republican times, the reforms were more uh, extensive, but one cannot ignore what happened uh, before the Republic. One cannot ignore the struggle of the resistance of ordinary women because these women changed the minds of authorities to a great extent by resisting the mobilization. Uh, when they resisted mobilization, they could increase the number of women, uh, families who uh, received the family pension, for instance. Uh, and when they uh, resisted the mobilization, uh, especially helped the deserters, this was something that the authorities were aware of. They punished these women, but at the same time, they punished those bureaucrats who did not pay the pensions of these women. So women's struggle before the Republic gave result to a great extent, making the authorities aware of these women and uh, making these women part of the politics of the time, especially everyday politics, decision-making. So these women were not passive. Ottoman women were not passive, which was a great lesson for me. These silenced women, especially they were silenced after the Republican times because there was a need to write a different story, a story that eulogized their war efforts, uh, not their resistance. These women really had an impact, had a very important impact on politics of the time. So I think we should look at the Ottoman era with a keen eye, seeing things from a different perspective, which I tried to achieve in my book, because what was important for me was not only what they achieved in terms of emancipation, etc., but I want to see their impact, what was their impact, and how active they were. And I found that these means were not always legal means, sometimes illegal means were more act more effective than legal ones, like writing petitions. When they helped the deserters, it was more effective. When they uh, did not pay their taxes, it was more effective. When they hide their crops, it was more effective. When they cried in front of the offices of the bureaucrats, it was more effective because this had an impact. So uh, I think that looking at only the re reforms of the Kemalist uh, era is not sufficient to understand women's emancipation issues or uh, their impact on politics. We should look at the Ottoman times with a different perspective. That was Elif Mahir Metinsoy. Many thanks to her. Remember to consider signing up as a Turkey Book Talk member if you enjoy the podcast and want to help support it. Membership gets you access to our special 35% discount on Turkey and Ottoman history books published by IB Taurus and Bloomsbury. Transcripts in English and Turkish of every interview as it's published. Transcripts of the entire Turkey Book Talk archive with over 90 conversations so far. And access to an archive of 231 book reviews written by me covering Turkish history, politics, literature and various other things. To become a member and to get all that just pledge a minimum of three dollars per episode via turkey book talks official patreon account and also you can pledge to that account and not become a member if you so wish that's also fine also do please rate or review turkey book talk on itunes or whatever podcast platform you use follow via twitter or like the facebook page to stay fully updated with new episodes and i do enjoy hearing from listeners so please do send any recommendations feedback or abuse to williamjohnarmstrong at gmail.com but until the next episode of turkey book talk in a couple of weeks thank you very much for listening Good job.